All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of Ask Me Anything with Pastor J.D. Greer. I'm Matt Love, and I mentioned that this was going to be part three of a impromptu live Ask Me Anything that J.D. did recently with some college students from Kentucky. They were visiting Southeastern Seminary, and there was uh, just an opportunity to have them ask some questions. So we're going to wrap that up today. We did part one. We did part two. If you missed those, go back and listen to them. They were really, really good. So we're going to hop back in with the last part of this and join J.D. and Josh Dickens from Southeastern with some more honest questions and quick answers. Should I be critical of churches who sacrifice sound doctrine for the purpose of appealing to more people? Sure. What does it mean, should I be critical? Should I? Should, should we Should we be critical of churches that, that certainly are going for seating capacity right. over sending capacity? Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how you, you, you would answer that question anyway, but to say, yes, you should be critical of them. Does that mean, you know, you should become a social media warrior? I would say probably not. I think that's actually mostly unhelpful. You know, it's just, I don't know who you're talking to on social media when you do that, other than, you know, a handful. It's just, uh, and I also say that as you get, as you go in this, you start learning a little bit that sometimes everything is not what it seems on the surface. And that there are sometimes, even if you disagree with them, there's some genuine reasons behind that are admirable and laudable. And you're just like, that's amazing. College and seminary, you become such this like idealist and you just become this, you know, you, you take to the, and I was like, you know, let's, let's have probably a little bit more slow, you know, and a lot more humility as you approach that. Having said that, um, you don't help anybody long-term by um, ever backing down from the truth. And just like there's a time to be a missionary and there's a time to punt conversations, there's a time where you have to, you have to be really clear. And we've tried to do that here at the church. Um, you know, when I'm talking to a LGBT community person, I do not slide across the table. Uh, the, what they call the Nashville statement, which is where we all got together and clarified what the Bible says about sexuality. I don't say, if you'll initial all this, we'll start our conversation. In fact, I usually, um, when they'll start making objections about sex, I'm like, can we punt that for a while? I, we'll get there, I promise, but let's just punt that. We might punt it for six months because right now we seem to talk about Jesus. Why, are we, why would you ever turn, believe this over here about sexuality if you're not convinced of the Lordship of Jesus? So let's, let's just start there. So there's a time to do that, but there's also a time when, I mean, I've preached it here just, you know, like today I'm gonna explain to you what's going on with same-sex attraction and why scripture is so clear that it is sinful and it is wrong. And um, yeah, if you don't do that, you're not serving. I, real quick, there's two um, lesbians who, both of them got saved at our church. One of them has since kind of fallen away and fallen back into the lifestyle, but they came here, they were married. The first one comes to her church. I, I don't know any other way to say this, but she got saved. She's still married, still lesbian, but she had an, an experience of Christ. So she comes back, she tells her lesbian wife, we got to go to this church. Lesbian wife looks us up on, she's like, heck no. She goes, these are the worst kinds of people. There ain't no way I'm going to that church. So she persuades her if she, if she's gotten religion, you know, religious kick, let's go down to, um, you know, this, the moderate liberal church in downtown Raleigh. So they go down there for three weeks. They, they go there and this is like her compromise. And the girl who got saved looks at this girl. She, she said, after three weeks, I looked at her and said, called her name, said, God ain't in this church. And right now we got a choice. We can go to Summit Church where God's presence is 
and they don't approve of what we do. Or we can come here to this church where they approve of what we do, but God's not here. And she said to her wife, I don't know about you, but I'm going to summit. So she comes. She meets with me several times. That's how I know this story. Finally, I don't, I've never met this other. Um, I don't know this. She works up her courage. After six months, she's going to come visit our church. First time she steps foot in our church. She comes down and sits on the second row. In five years, I've preached one sermon in its totality on same-sex attraction and the sinfulness of homosexuality. Like where, where, I, mean, I mentioned it before, but like the whole sermon, that was the week she came. She said, I sat there. She goes, you started preaching. She said, I, my back got straight because her, her wife that had gotten saved wasn't there. She said, my, my back got all straight. And she's like, I knew it. I knew it. That's all they talk about. This is, she goes, I pulled up my notebook and I was just going to write down all the hateful things that you said. And I was going to use this to just go after, you know, her, her wife. And she said, she said about 10 minutes in, and I'm going to quote exactly what she said. It's a little salty because I, I met with her. She said about 10 minutes into it, she goes, I put my pen down because I hadn't written a thing down. And I said, damn it, this is the most loving anti-gay sermon I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> And she said, um, and she, then she's telling me the story and she's burst into tears and she gets baptized. The other girl with it, they, they dissolve their marriage. It's a, it's a beautiful story. Now, again, sadly, one of them has since, um, gone back, but that came because, in fact, she even said to me, she said, thank you for not doing what so many people do. And that is never telling us the truth about this, because I don't think I could have found Christ if, um, you were just pandering to what I heard. That's sweet. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So for, for a college student that's feeling the call, feeling this, this call from the Lord into ministry, uh, how just give some practical recommendations for pastoral, missions, all these various tracks that we can feel pulled, pulled towards. Yeah, so if you're sensing the call, um, a couple of things I'll say here. Um, one, let's just acknowledge everybody's called. Um, one of the worst myths that has grown in the last 20, 30 years is that calling is a sacred experience reserved for a select few in the body of Christ. It's like your upper 10%. If you're a super Christian, you're called. Um, that's not true. Every Christian is called because every Christian is called to leverage whatever God gave them, the five talents, the two talents, the one talent, whatever, for the Great Commission. You will be responsible. We teach our students the question is no longer if you are called. The question is only where and how. We always tell our students, like, look, I mean, you know, you got to get a job somewhere. Why not get a job in a place where God's doing something amazing? That's why we always challenge them to spend two years after they graduate to start on a church planning team. Because even if you're, most of them will go at, with secular jobs on these church planning things. Um, and so they'll, a lot of times they'll actually move, they'll, they'll start their career where we're doing it. Sometimes they just go get an odd job at Starbucks or whatever. But, you know, even though they're working, because you're part of a church planning team, you're exploring all these gifts of ministry. And you're going to see that regardless of whether God uses you as a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, a teacher, or a homemaker, you're going to see that um, God has a, a strategic role. So you've got to, you're all called. It's no longer if you're called, it's where and how. The other phrase that we use is we say, um, um, to follow Jesus means to figure out what you're good at and then do it well to the glory of God, but also do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. So whatever God made you good at may not be what I do, but Josh does. Do it well to the glory of God, but also do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. And that for us is, you know, say be a part of a church planning team. So we have, you know, 100, well, maybe probably 
60-ish of our college students every year when they graduate will go to be a part of one of these church planning teams. And it's kind of the secret of our church planning engine is students that give those first two years. Um, by the way, Summit Church is not the only thing that does this. The North American Mission Board will do it. Uh, go to years.net as a place you can start the conversation or, you know, Harden can have its own, you know, kind of ways that they plug you in. So everybody's called. Um, so I would start there. Um, the other side of the myth, though, yeah, it's kind of one of these deals where you got two gutters on either side of the street that you could fall into. The other gutter you can fall into is, is not recognizing that there really is a sense where God might call you to devote yourself to full-time ministry. And I think we haven't talked about that as much. I mean, when I was growing up, independent Baptist, fundamentalist, like every youth camp I went to had two invitations, or actually three, get saved, rededicate your life, surrender to ministry. And so I, it was early, 16 years old. I'm like, I'm not even, I'm barely a Christian. I feel called to preach. Um, so I don't think we talk about that enough. First Timothy 3.1 says, if you desire the office of church leadership, that's a good thing. So if that's in you, then you should pursue it. Missions, I mean, again, I don't mean to sound all, but what, 2.7 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus? I, the, I, I was praying earlier for the country of Yemen. 8 million people, that's about the size of North Carolina. 20 believers total in Yemen. So my question is like, why is it that I need to feel called to go over there? And if I don't feel that, I'll just stay here. Maybe we should flip that and say, in light of global lostness, maybe I should just assume that's where God wants me to be. Because I mean, is God that bad at math that he would leave so many believers here when there's so much, when there's so few over there with so little? So I would just say, and that's what I did when I was in college. I'm like, unless I told God, unless you stop me, I'm going to go overseas as a missionary. Um, and God said, great. And I went. Eventually, God led me to, to do this, but um, I would almost say start with missions. Do that. Consider church leadership. If that desire is in you, it's a good thing. I would pursue that. Um, the historian Rodney Stark says that the number one predictor of the future of any movement, the number one predictor, is not the amount of people being saved, not the amount of money, not the size of the churches. The number one predictor is the amount of men and women they're raising up for ministry. And so I think that's crucial. And my, I would hope a third of this room would do that. I think you go to seminary, I mean, that's not the only path. Um, some churches like ours can give you really good internships. And we actually have a partnership with Southeastern that you can take a lot of your classes and hard may have the same thing. Um, seminary, traditional seminary is not the only path, but it's a good one. Um, you definitely should get some kind of, you need to be uh, understand systematic theology and church history and don't be so arrogant as to think like, you know, Christianity was invented five years ago. And it, it just there's a lot to learn and a lot of great things to build on. And seminary is a place where you can get a, a, a accustomed to this. Okay. And then we got time for one more question. Um, so when you're discerning this call for missions, how do you discern uh, where and when to go and who to go through and uh, the key issues that you have to think through? How do you counsel somebody? I'm called to go overseas. Now what? Yeah, so I want to go overseas. Well, just go. <laughs> I mean, just like, don't. So when I was um, a junior in college, um, I was in a law program. It was, it was actually going great. All the doors were opening that were supposed to open. And I was teaching the Bible on our campus. Um, and closest I've ever come to a full-scale Pentecostal revival was when I was a student because we grew from a handful of students to several hundred and people getting saved. And I was just like, and here I'm doing my law stuff. And I'm like, I love the law stuff, but man, I just, there's something about being a part of this kind of movement. 
And then God began to break my heart for the 2.8 billion. And I was just, I remember having this image and I'm not claiming it was a Pentecostal vision, but it felt like one. This vision of walking along a side of railroad tracks and seeing a kid, a five-year-old kid who was paralyzed, but alive and laying on the railroad tracks and hearing a train coming and knowing that the kid was going to die and thinking like, what would I do right here? I mean, you don't drop down on your knees at that point and say, Lord, would you just move in my heart and show me what you give me a piece? No, you're like, no, idiot, pick the kid up, move him off the track. You know what God's will is right there. Um, the Lord is not willing that any should perish and they're going to perish if they don't hear about Jesus. So, you know, I'm like, well, let's talk about finding God's will. It's not lost. He's told us what it is. So, so I'm like, well, God, instead of saying, I'm going to go to law unless you call me to take the gospel to the nations, why don't you flip that and say, God, the kid on the railroad tracks is the lost nations. I'm going to take the gospel unless you stop me. And this is one of those moments where I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke in a very clear voice to me. And he was like, that's the question I've been waiting on you to ask. That's the right question. And so the question is not if, it's where and how. And I said, Lord, here I am, send me. God opened up a door for me to go to um, Indonesia as a missionary. Um, I went through Southeastern. That was my first experience at Southeastern. And they had a two plus two program. Thank you. And um, I went to the International Mission Board called, it was uh, what's I, ISC or Journeyman, they're the same program. They still have that program. If you are in a Southern Baptist or a Great Commission Baptist Church, that is a great option. It's not the only option, but I would say being at Harden, and you get a chance to, for two years, go. You're fully funded. That's what's amazing. You don't have to raise all that money. You just, you go and you, you, know, you sense. And when you're out there, the majority of missionaries that are out there full-time point back to either a short-term experience or a journeyman program is what motivated them and clarified that call. So that'd be a great place to start. Thank you so much for joining us today. If these 10 or 15 minutes are not enough and you want to hear more from Pastor JD, please tune in to Summit Life with Pastor JD. The Summit Life broadcast is a daily 25-minute program with Pastor JD where he shares biblical truths in a longer format that inspire listeners to have daily encounters with Jesus and his transformative grace. It airs on hundreds of radio stations around the country, but also as a podcast. So if you're listening to this, you can literally find Summit Life podcast right here on the same app, or you can find it at jdgreer.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything.